Around four in the afternoon on April 8, 2004, Brandon Mayfield's wife Mona walked up the front steps onto the porch of their two-story wooden home in Beaverton, on the west slope of the hills that circle Oregon's largest city, Portland. Since Brandon had opened his own law practice the year before, Mona spent most days working as his paralegal and office manager, but she had taken this Thursday off to catch up on chores around the house. Juggling her purse and a bag of groceries, Mona put the key in the lock and turned it the way she had hundreds of times. But the door didn't budge. The deadbolt had been thrown, a deadbolt she and Brandon never used. Unlocking the door, she peered inside, then called out, but no one answered. Looking around, Mona walked in slowly and went into the kitchen, where she put her purse and groceries on the counter. Then she went into the living room. As she stepped on the carpet, she stopped. She can't say why, but something just didn't feel right. Was one of the pictures on the mantel out of place? No. Well, maybe. Were the blinds on one of the windows ajar? Was that a footprint she saw on the deep pile white carpet? Mona had vacuumed that morning, and there shouldn't have been any footprints. Brandon had been in the office all day, and their children Shane, Sharia, and Samir had been in school. Nothing had been taken. The television and computer were where they should have been. She stood there a while, shook her head, then went back into the kitchen to prepare dinner. When Brandon got home that night, Mona checked with him. Did you use the deadbolt when you left for work today? No, he answered. Why? Mona told Brandon what had happened. They looked around together, but nothing was missing, and they could not be sure anything was out of place. Brandon checked with the kids, but none of them remembered using the deadbolt and none had come home from school during the day. The whole family went to bed that night with a lingering sense of unease, though Mona and Brandon wondered if they were just imagining things. Returning from work a week later, Mona got out of her car walked up the drive and put the key in the lock. Again, the deadbolt was thrown. Mona stood there a while, then unlocked the door and walked into the living room. Just like the week before, something was not right. But this time, she was sure. The digital clock on the VCR was blinking, and so was the one in the kitchen. Someone had been in her home. Mona called Brandon. You need to come home. It's happened again. Are you sure someone's been there? How can I be sure of anything, Brandon? Please, come home. Mona and Brandon searched carefully from living room to dining room, from the den to the upstairs bedrooms. The digital clocks and clock radios were blinking. Also, it looked like someone had rummaged through some of the drawers in their bedroom. But again, nothing appeared to be missing. Brandon checked the circuit breakers in the basement, but they had not been tripped. Mona called PGE, their electric company, to see if there had been any outages in their neighborhood that day. There had not been. Brandon and Mona sat up half the night trying to figure out what could be going on. What kind of burglary was this? Who would invade their home? Until then, everything was looking good for Brandon. His children were all doing well in school, his law practice was growing, and Mona was happy helping out at the office and running their home. Born in the southern Oregon fishing and logging port of Coos Bay, Brandon had grown up in the smaller Kansas communities of Halstead and Bueller where his father, Bill, 
worked as a custom harvester, and his mother, Avnel, worked as an art teacher. These were conservative Christian communities where the fact that Brandon's family, though nominally Christian, did not attend church made them stand out as a little leftist. Brandon graduated from Halstead High School in 1984 and joined the Army Reserves the next spring, signing up for a full tour. He met Mona on a blind date one night in 1987 while stationed in Fort Lewis, Washington. The daughter of an Egyptian professor at St. Martin's University in Olympia, Mona and her father had left Egypt when she was five, and they lived in Paris and Massachusetts before he was offered the professorship at St. Martin's.